now tuned into the greatest. No idea if they work. They should connect. They should connect. Do you have All it set right. up in your settings? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. Can you, do I sound okay? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. How, how do I sound? Hey, KC, question. Do I, um, how's, is my, am I echoing? Because I'm just, I'm just, uh, Oh, beautiful. That's good. Cool. Damn. All right. Nice to meet you, man. Hey, look. Don't. Yeah, don't, nice to meet you. We're not going to ambush you or anything. This is not a setup or anything. I, I, I genuinely, like, for real, like, I, I genuinely have no animosity, and I'm sure you feel the same way. And I think social media is a crazy world, but, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to extend the invitation because I actually. I actually like your point of view. I think you have a wonderful point of view and I like your videos and uh, I, I'm very, uh, I would say I admire how many restaurants you've eaten at in the last, you know, in the last couple of years or in your, in your career in general. So I kind of just wanted to, um, you know, throw that invitation out there, man, get you on the podcast. This is a chef driven podcast. So we talk about like all the nitty gritty stuff, you know, things that like you pretty, like if we were working together and we were talking on the line, you know what I mean? Okay. And, and the best thing is, is like, in, uh, I think what's really great is, and especially I, I kind of say this a lot, but Casey and I are two different ends of the spectrum. All right. And so what's funny, because the reason why we're friends is because, yo, we literally don't see eye to eye on anything like ever. <laughs> and, and it's funny because it's funny because like, and I tell people this, like uh, the first interaction that Casey and I had was, uh, you know, he commented on one of my videos and he was like, Hey, he's like, you know, I think this should be on a different plate or you should do this. And I was like, damn, yeah, that's a, that's a good point of view, man. But like, just to give you a little context, he has done corporate chef world. You know what I'm saying? And I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. So I've done like Michelin fine dining. That's it. Like <laughs> nothing else. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, blood, sweat, and tears. So we have different point of views on managing a kitchen, right? Obviously, he comes from the corporate world. I come from the Michelin background. And um, yeah, so we're excited to have you on the podcast. And, um, you know, I'm really, uh, if, for our listeners and stuff, if you could just give like a three-minute summary of your experience, what led you up to this point, why would you? Why did you start creating content? Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, I'm... Um, I'm from Chicago originally and uh, just always love food. Like it was always the idea. And you'll like this because I know you worked at Alinea. The reason I became a chef is when I was in eighth grade, I had to do like a science fair project for, uh, for school. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we got to pick anything we wanted. And Alinea was one year old and they had just gotten the, the Ruth Reichel thing where they were like the best restaurant in the country. And I forget what magazine it was, but <laughs> I uh, emailed Grant Ackett's out of the blue. And I was just like, Hey, could I come in and see your kitchen? And he was like, sure. This was before the cancer. This was before everything. And he gave me a personal tour. It was like him. He brought me over to like John Shields was still there. Uh, I think Curtis oh. was in the kitchen at the time. Like, uh, Dave Brown was there as like a Comey, like Stupak. Everybody was, and and I didn't know who these people were at the time, but later I became like a junkie. And he gave me a tour, and I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Right? Oh, let's like, go. I was like, oh my god, like everybody's silent and in all white in the silver kitchen, and it was just downhill from that day. Um, then I went to, yeah, I, I I went to business school instead of culinary school because I don't know, I didn't. Yeah. And then immediately after graduation, I moved abroad. So, and in business school, when all of my friends were doing like um, 
internships for consulting firms or whatever. I was interning in any restaurant that would take me. I think in the four years I was in college, I interned at eight different restaurants. And I did it really purposely in that I chose super different restaurants. I was working at like small spots, big spots, uh, three star, one star, no star, trying to get some idea of when I left college, what kind of restaurant would I want to work in, right? Uh, and so I graduated. And what I realized during that period was like, I like working in tiny restaurants where the chef is present that do tasting menu only. So I essentially sent a resume to like every single restaurant in Europe that matched that requirement. And I knew I wanted to go abroad for at least a period of time. And so I uh, ended up at a place called Daniel Berlin Krug, which has since closed, but he's starting his new place. And it, it was when I got there, it had no, nothing going on. And then within the year I was there, it got its first star, it got 50 best, whatever. And then it got its second star right after I left, probably because I left. And uh, I was there about a, about a year and a half, and then I went to Japan for uh, for three months uh, and apprenticed at some Kaiseki restaurants there, and then came to France. I worked it for Alexander Couillon at La Marine, who people kind of only know because he has a chef's table, but it's like a fish-driven two-star spot. Uh, and then I went to Berlin, and I, I was working at a restaurant in Berlin called Ernst, E-R-N-S-T, and there... Uh, I was the sous chef there and I was there for a couple of years. Pretty much I left right at the start of COVID. And Ernst is about as extreme on the opposite end of like American three Michelin star restaurants possible. Uh, mm -hmm. We were a 12 seat omakase bar. We created a menu of like 45 courses every morning with the produce we got that day. Uh, it was an unbelievable rest. I truly think it's like one of the best restaurants in, in Europe, if not up there in the world and deserves to be repped really hard. Uh, yeah. And then I became a head chef for a while at, at another restaurant in Berlin. And now I've, I've moved back to the States to begin opening my own restaurant. And this whole TikTok thing was something my girlfriend convinced me to do about two months ago. Cause I'm literally yeah. spend every day, like in meetings with brokers and lawyers and that kind of stuff. And she was like, you've got the time, like just start putting content out there. Cause it's silly and whatever. Like I did not get into it yeah. to call people out. Um, yeah. No, but you know, but, but I, but listen, we, we all listen, listen, you know what, this is a really important topic because see in all, in all honesty, it's, I think it's totally fine. Like, I think it's totally fine. And the thing is, is just like I was saying, you know, before, like, you know, I've made some detrimental mistakes. My first viral video, Jake, I'm not going to lie, man. It was, it was such an L dude. So basically I'll tell you, just give you a little context. Um, I saw a large creator on here who, um, he pretends to be a chef and he's cutting, he's filleting a salmon, right? Completely destroying it. There's just, I mean, fucking it up. But he is saying, this is how you fillet salmon. And he's like going down. He's just absolutely destroying the salmon. And it made me so beat red because I was like, no, this is fucking wrong. And I, anyway, I didn't call him out, but I just made a video filleting a salmon perfectly, like top level. And anyway, and I said, you know, I'm tired of big time creators who have a huge influence on other people thinking that it's okay to teach bad technique because, you know, it's, it just, it's just wrong. Well, anyway, this video pops off and then I have like, dude, I have so many people, like so many haters in the comments. And I realized that was like the biggest mistake I've made because that's not the kind of attention that I wanted. Right. But anyway, I, I went from, you know, 40,000 followers to like 212,000 overnight. Right. And, um, but the, it, it taught me a good lesson. And so 
I think with the power of social media, I think you'll, you will, um, you'll realize like with TikTok and Instagram, like you'll be able to leverage your restaurant, right? Like you'll be able to, Mm -hmm. you know, cut deals with your social media following. But anyway, I I want, I do want to give some good news though. Casey, you know, you know this, but I'm, I'm glad you said you, you were opening a restaurant because my guy, I'm doing the same thing. And I am so excited. opening a restaurant right now. I, Bro, I, listen, listen, but but uh, let's let's get into it because I think this is really important. I just put in my notice at my job yesterday, and I'm not gonna lie, my job is oh, very congratulations. Good. Yeah. yeah, I'm fucking ready, bro. I'm ready. And the thing is, is I am I have a very lucrative position here in Silicon Valley. I work for a huge tech company. I'm the executive chef, and um, you know, I get paid a lot. But uh, I had the opportunity to um, go to Montana and cook for a venture capitalist group and completely blew them away, man. I made, I made everything. I made sourdough from were scratch. You, were, I, you, I literally, were you cooking on Skeen's farm? Are you allowed to say that? No, he's actually in Wyoming, but okay. I'm not okay. going to lie. I, there was some, there was some, t- listen, I love Joshua Skeen's, but I don't know if I could, I don't know if I would ever work for him again without having a piece of the pie. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And uh, he, he's a great chef. Look, I got to be honest, man. Chefsky, uh, so I worked, I joined Saison to work on their two new angler projects back in 2018. But that was probably my favorite experience to date. But the only thing I will say is that it like, you just have to like, when you're not in charge of the money, you know, the rules are different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what type of, yeah. like he's, he has nothing to do with Saison or Angler anymore at all. He's trying, yeah. he's working on this Skeens Ranch and I'm sure he has some investors to work on it. But needless to say, I think he's one of the best chefs in the United States. But honestly, he's, you know, he's tough to work for. He is fucking tough to work oh, for. I've heard the stories. Yeah. Yeah. He like, dude, I, I've seen him go to, but, but like, I, I'm not phased by it. Like the thing is, is I know how to manage like, I don't know. I've worked for some crazy chefs, man. But the thing is, is I'm not going to lie. When, when I was cooking for Joshua Skeens, bro, this was like, you talk about shit in your pants. I swear to God, bro. Every day it was just like, it was just like, oh my God. Like it was, it was very difficult because, you know, he's, he's, he can, he has the palate of a genius. Like it's absolutely crazy. Like his palate, I swear to God, I was making, I forgot what I was making. I don't recall, but he's like, Hey, he's like, the the garlic is sour in this dish he's like the garlic has is over fermented it's too sour and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about it was like a lobster sauce or something i'm like and then i go upstairs and i'm checking the comey's mise en place and i'm like what are you i'm like fuck and then i see like the 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 garlic is old he's like and i couldn't believe he picked it up i couldn't believe it and uh it was crazy but Anyway, I am so basically, and I'll I'll break the news here. I have I am working with a uh, an investor um, that we're going to open a restaurant in Montana. I already have the building. Uh, it's a great partnership. I'm looking so forward to it. Uh, next first quarter next year. The the main goal is obviously I'm a big fan of wood fire. Everything over the wood fire, like not not like every single thing is going to be touched in the fire, but that's that's going to be the goal. Um, and I'm super excited to start that process because. I've been down some shaky roads with investors and I think what's really important is, um, you know, making sure the deal is good. Like I can't, I I can't stress enough, man. There's so many chefs that have to shut their restaurants because you know, the ultimately the person that's putting up the money has the, has the final say. And I think it's really important to, um, you know, make sure that that deal is ironed out really good. You know, (laughs) is this, is this place going to be like a, well, I want to come back and we'll talk about like the investors and lawyers things, but is this place going to be, like destination, like Blackberry Farm style, or what's no? I think I think the start. I, honestly, and I, that's a great question. 
because it's such a small town. So it's going to be in Hamilton, Montana. And um, there's, you know, the population obviously has doubled and tripled in size since COVID. And I mean, it's funny because like my, all of my experiences in, you know, DC, Miami, New York, Washington, you know, Chicago, LA, San Francisco. So a couple of years ago, if I would have said I was moving to Montana, people would think I was crazy, but now it's different. And this restaurant, I think the way we're going to position it is we're going to go local first, right? I'm, I'm really going to do my best to try to source. I want to reinvent like American cuisine, but you know, do it with wild forged items. I want to get into game meats. I want to really focus on hunting, uh, procuring. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to to uh, shoot and break down my own wild boar and it changed my life. It literally changed my life. Like I, I literally shot this, shot this thing, killed it, skinned it, field dressed it. And then my, ultimately my chef drive just completely took a different turn. Like absolutely amazing. So anyway, so I dry aged some, I, you know, I made charcuterie, I did this, but like, let me tell you something, when you're tasting something that you actually hunted and killed, it's a different it's a different thing, man. It's just mm -hmm. different. Like as chefs, we're so used to getting like pork chops in the grocery store or like commercial. And I remember touching this pig and it was lukewarm. You know what I mean? And it's like, fuck, this is weird. I'm used to touching meat yeah. when it's fucking ice cold. But, uh, so, so when I get to Montana, I want to look, I want to forge for, you know, you know, wild strawberries, wild berries. Well, there's so much things that are undiscovered. That's going to be the top goal. But I think what the idea is, is a restaurant group. So we're going to start with the first concept, which is going to be called Ember. And uh, the investors picked out this name, but uh, the first concept could be Ember. So wood fired, and we're going to build the formula first, right? So it's going to be steak and meat heavy, obviously, because Montana, I'm going to have some potatoes on the menu and shit, but it's going to be very 1000% chef driven. And then from there, what we're going to do is we are going to branch out and start just, um, you know, uh, you know, hit the ground running. So I, I really want a pasta concept. I want a butcher shop. I want uh, you know, a pizza. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie, like a wood fired pizza concept. I want to do, I'm, it's gonna, we're gonna start with the base formula and then we're gonna move on from there. Even talked about, um, they have a plot of land that we're probably gonna do, not a bed and breakfast, but like an event place, right? Like an event place where we can have, you know, weddings during the summer and things along that line. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be wonderful, man. I, I really have high hopes for this, but I think getting the locals on board is gonna be my top priority for the first, um, you know, the first couple months. And then yeah. obviously it's, it's gonna have to be a destination restaurant or else you're gonna fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's funny, like the restaurant I worked at in Berlin, we, it, obviously Berlin is a really big city, but we were in, we were this tiny little tasting menu restaurant in this corner called Vetting. And it's like, it's a garbage neighborhood. There's no other way to put it. Like it's the lowest income. It is the most dangerous. It is. And the reason it, it, it's one of the only neighborhoods in Berlin that has never gentrified. And we were like, my boss was kind of the first one in doing that. Like not, maybe not in the best way, but it, it, we, we always thought that we were going to be just visitors from out of town, people from the other side of the city. Whatever. And we were shocked at how many people were we're like we because we talk to every guest and they'd be like oh yeah like we live around the corner and we've always wanted something like this around here for our birthdays and anniversaries like when you get the the local community on your side and out of nowhere yeah. it's amazing and we became this like little corner institution we became the first michelin star restaurant ever in this neighborhood and it was mm. not it, it and it got that attention because the locals were giving it to us yeah so so my so i'm gonna be honest like when when you when i well, okay, I was a little scared because I've never been to Montana. And then the first time I went there, I was like, fuck, I'm going to hate it. It's going to be like, as soon as I get there, it's going to be like, white, pa white power. 
You know, like that's, <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, that's my perception. But let me yeah. tell you how fucking beautiful it is, man. It is absolutely gorgeous. And the thing is, it's like, when I went, I went to a, I was doing shopping at a local store. It was in Missoula and it was called the good store. And it's basically like a whole foods, but a smaller version. Dude, when I tell you Montana mills, its own flour, they have their own cherries. They have their own berries. They have their, they keep their local shit to themselves. And I was blown away by some of these grains that I tasted. Some of these, uh, you know, they have, they have local farmer markets, but they keep it all to themselves. They are very proud about Montana things. And so my whole goal is as a chef is to, come there, respect the, respect the area, respect the locals, respect the, you know, the people that forage and really drive home that it is like Montana born. Right. And then the thing is, is also uh, like I was telling the investor, so my nationality is half black, half white, but I am 1000% American, 100% American. And for me, I've worked with so many chefs that are like, you know, French or, you know, like X, Y, Z. And the thing is, is actually working for Joshua Skeens. I mean, my man is from Florida. Okay. He is from mm-hmm. Florida and he's an American chef. And it's funny because he kind of gave me that perception. Like, no, I'm proud to be American. Like I'm proud to be American. And I'm like, damn, yeah, so am I, man. And he's like, yeah, I can't tell you. Um, so we, w- when, when, when I was working there, actually Laurent Gras came and was taking over Saison at the time. It was, it was a dream come true, man. I'll tell you what, that was the, you talk about pressure. I was breaking down a hamachi and um, it was so funny because I have skeins on one side and then Laurent Gras, the king of seafood on the other side. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, he, yeah. And I remember he's like, why do you use a slicer? Why don't you use a Deba? And I'm like, well, I'm like, chef, you know, the slicer is just comfortable for me. He's like, use a Deba, use a Deba. And I'm like, okay, yes, chef. And I'm like, here I switched to a Deba and I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> chef. And it was funny because it was like, I was literally like shaking in my boots. And usually I'm not like shaking, but man, when you have Laurent, I staged at L2O when he was the chef. And it was the first fine dining meal I ever had. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he, and, and I couldn't believe he remembered me, man. I could not fucking believe really? it. Yes. Because in, the only reason he remembered me is because, so I staged at L2O. It was my first stage in Chicago. And, uh, and it was crazy because I was with the Garmage guy and I was doing his prep. And the, the problem was, is I was already at a higher level cook position at this time. And so and he was fucking up, dude. And it wasn't hard. We're talking about a crab salad with avocado and a gold leaf. Dude, it wasn't hard. It was just like you could preset it. And Matt Kirkley was the chef, the cuisine, chef mm-hmm. de cuisine. Matt Kirkley was the chef of cuisine. And uh, and it was funny because Matt was like, what, what, the, what the fuck is the problem? He's like, why can't you do the salad? He's like, it's easy. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, so anyway, so he runs that one. Uh, what, what happened was, I think um, it was so long ago, but one crab salad came back, had a shell in there or something. So he didn't pick through it. So he had me start p- picking through it. And then he, that, he just shut down. You know, some people under pressure, that's it. They just fucking crumble. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Hey man. And he's like, I gotta go get some more crab. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man. Hey, no problem. And then, and then I just started plating up the salads. And then I remember Matt Kirkley coming over and he's like, did you, he's like, did you make this? And I'm like, yeah, yes, chef. And he's like, no crab shells. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely not. No crab shells. And uh, it's because he was going through a third pan of crab meat. No, bitch. You got to get a deli cup of (laughs) crab meat. You sort through the, you sort through the portion first, you confirm, you double check, then you go to another deli cup. You know what I mean? Like, and it was funny because uh, Laurent Gras was coming through in his little motherfucking ninja outfit. It was crazy. Like, black, like <laughs> I swear to God, it was like a yeah. ninja, like a, it, like his, 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 it, it was, it was a ninja outfit. I can't even explain <laughs> it. It was just, a ninja outfit. But I remember, yeah, I remember him coming through and like checking a whole bunch of stuff. And then uh, the, uh, the funny thing is, is the reason why I had a connection was because of Thomas Raquel. He was on pastry. And uh, Thomas yeah. Raquel, he's the, so he's the executive yeah, yeah. pastry chef of Le Bernardin. He now. just left. Well, he just left. Oh, he did? 
Yeah, he left like a month ago off real mysterious circumstances. So you should, if you're still friends, you should reach out because I have a friend who's very close with him and has not been able to get in touch with him for two months. Fuck. Yeah, I'll definitely reach yeah. out. Well, I'm sure I'm sure he's probably like he's probably like all other chefs who have built their name and then don't have a piece of the business. Like it's it's the yeah. bottom line. It's what the fuck's happening? Like we're all getting smarter now. Like, dude, I can't tell you I wasted, you know, my twenty-two to fucking twenty-eight just working out a vision for other chefs. And it's like, not anymore, man. Like, I want a piece of the pie. Yeah. Like, it's crazy, but now yeah, Jay, Thomas uh, Ray, quick I'll, question. I'll um, yeah. I know, I know you're starting a whole thing. Are you able to speak on that a little bit or are we, is that too early of a, a question? Yeah, no, I can, I can like the concept. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's, um, it's the opposite of a lot of American fine dining right now. And, and what I mean by, so it's going to be, a, a counter restaurant. It's going to be Right now, it's probably going to be 20 seats, and we'll do 30 guests a night, four nights a week. I mean, we're talking tiny operation. So the concept, it, 20, small restaurant, and the, the whole thing is, uh, it's all about seasonality. I, like, I think seasonality is everything for what we do. And it's I, my big problem with most of American restaurants. It's like, when you're feeding uh, 150 people a night, you can't actually work with local farmers, really. And, and if you're creating yeah. dishes that are going to be on the menu for two months you have to think about like things that are going to be around for two months um yeah correct and so the whole way this restaurant's going to work is we're i'm setting up a network of small farms and not all of them are local i think that's that's actually less important most of them are local quite a few of them but like i'm going to california next week to meet some farmers because for me it's more i'm more interested in people who are like really small producers who really care about what they're doing and about forming a relationship with them than I am actually about locality. And I think the reason people love local is because it's easier to form that relationship. Uh, and then I'm just going to get anything I can every day, uh, ideally as fresh as possible. And we're going to create a menu of 25 to 35 courses on a daily basis. We're going to sit down at 11 in the morning as a kitchen team and everybody's going to be encouraged to pitch ideas. Uh, and it's going to be very simple, clean food. I keep saying it's not going to be Japanese food, but it's going to be Japanese mentality inspired. Sure. Uh, and then, um, yeah, we're going to create like a 25 to 35 course tasting menu. And, and like during the summer when it's all produce driven, then we might have 35 courses and 33 of them are going to be produce. And in the winter when it's much harder here in the Midwest, then we might have uh, 20 to 25 courses and 10 of them might be proteins, you know, like yeah. in-house aged stuff. And then we'll have our, our producer. Uh, and I, yeah, that's kind of the basis of it. And it's all about, it's funny because it's the opposite of also what you were saying in your video about chefs being behind the line or not behind the line. I mean, I'm yeah. for this concept to work. I'm going to be behind. I'm going to be behind the line every day. Yeah, uh, it's that's funny okay. because I was having I was having the that same conversation with uh, Jacob Bickelham Bickelhop. Yeah, uh, he was he was uh, the forty two grams, and uh, I, anyway, I reached out to him on because he was getting some hate, like he was getting hated on. Uh, he did a restaurant in West Palm Beach, so I was in Chicago at that time when that whole shit went down. But uh, to make a long story short, I was talking to him, and uh, we talked about that same thing. And uh, and it's funny because like you know I think there's so many different gray areas, but I, what I wanted to say is uh, I wanted to go back to California because see I'm I've been in California for 
fucking nine years, bro. Like, so I've worked in Los Angeles. I know every single farmer there is like, I, dude, I've got the connections everywhere. So if you need, if you need anything, especially here in San Francisco, uh, just let me know because I, I'm, you know, I got connections with everybody, but if you're going to go stone fruit, bro, Andy's orchard here, uh, mm-hmm. where I, Andy's orchard and Morgan Hill is the best dude. There's no fucking doubt. In my have mind. you, like, have you ever worked with Penryn? Yeah. I know this is like, real good, yeah. I'm trying to visit him and he's, he's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> so, so listen, so actually I have a direct contact with Penryn, but I, I don't think he has the best stone fruit though. Really? He has the okay. he has the best cooking peaches, like the peaches for like jarred peaches, but he doesn't have the best. I, I'm telling you right now, Andy's Orchard here at Morgan Hill, they're the best. They they're stone fruit. They only pick them tree ripe. They wait until it's time to harvest. They don't harvest unless it's you know unless it's ready to pick from the tree. Then they box it up and they ship it. I'll, I'll I'll do a video. I'm about to pick up some stone fruit here pretty soon, but they do the absolute best. There's also another farm. It's called Blossom Bluff, uh, here right. uh, Northern California. They I would say. Between them and Frog Hollow Farms, they're the two that you want to go with. I would not waste any time with Penryn. <laughs> all right. All right. That's good. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like, and I'm also love- looking at going up. I'm going to visit Monterey Abalone. I'm going to visit Mount Lassen, Mount Lassen Trout. Like, I'm also kind of like, if I'm going to be there, because I don't get good seafood here. You know, like, there's no logo good seafood. I want to use seafood. I love that. So I'm going to so- be meeting with a lot of seafood people as well. So my, my uh, recommendation for seafood would be Los Angeles, not San Francisco. And the only reason I say that is because I've just had such a big problem with inconsistency here in San Francisco. And it's just gotten worse because of COVID. I would recommend Lux Seafood in Los Angeles. They yeah. do the absolute right. fucking best. But the, the problem is they don't ship to Chicago. They don't ship anywhere else. I've begged them, bro, mm-hmm. on my knees. Like, please, motherfucker, please send me this. Just ship. The thing they is, won't let you. They, yeah. And then there's also uh, one guy I should connect you with. Um, he has a fish shop in uh, Studio City or Sherman Oaks. He's called the Dry Age Fish Guy. And, yeah, um, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah he's he. Uh, oh, fuck, I forgot his name. I'm drawing a blank. But he's the he's the best man. Like he does a really good job at what he does. He's perfected it. Uh, his fish quality is amazing, but it's expensive. It's very expensive. But I should connect you so that way uh, you can get with his vendors because he has. Uh, I have a few vendors that I work with. Uh, I don't know if you know Regales Seafood does a really good yeah. job. There's also one other guy. It starts with a U, but um, I'll have to send you the information. Yeah, but yeah. You, 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 Siaku. You, Yukasaku. Yeah, you, you, Yukasaku. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good actually, guy, but only, I don't want to get Japanese like fish. The, yeah, I know. That's the, it's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. So, um, yeah, Monterey abalone is good. I would also recommend Monterey seaweed. Uh, which yeah. is which yeah, is really good. The farm, the farm, yeah, farm seaweed. Yeah. So so see, I'm on a different end. Like I like now I've been in California so long. Like in San Francisco, like if you whether you go to Dominique Crenn or you go to Bennu or you go to um, you know Single Thread, you know they all we all do the same things. And it's like I'm I'm kind of tired of using like all the same ingredients. And it's like I need something new and exciting. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like if I go to Ferry Building like right now, I know exactly which farmers I'm gonna hit. I know exactly what produce I'm gonna get. I know I'm going to go for the asparagus, you know, like, um, you know, the jumbo asparagus, you got to call in ahead of time. And like, it was great, but it's like, we all use the same things nowadays. And I think, um, I think like now I just want to explore something new. Like I, I, you know, I really do. Um, I I was going to mention one more thing, uh, shoot case, no, not Casey, um, CNH orchards for, uh, for their, for their, um, for their stone fruit as well is really good. I, I think that's her name. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, Frog Hollow, Blossom Bluff, but Andy's cool. Orchard is 
top notch. Yeah. Got to check them out. So are you going to open this restaurant in Chicago, Shottown? Or- yeah, yeah, Chicago. Yeah. I was between Chicago so, and LA because, yeah. you know, one of the beautiful things about LA is like in the winter, I would have produce. Uh, you would have yeah. produce. Yeah. hundred percent. East but, coast is you know, tough. My yeah. big thing is I hate driving. I hate yeah, And yeah. the idea of being in LA is like a nightmare for me. So. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. And then plus like, I mean, um, what part of Chicago are you, are you uh, thinking? I'm looking all over. I, I gave, I, I told my broker, I was like, just not, west loop because if you're in chicago if you know chicago at all like it's the west loop is where like ackett's has all of his other restaurants and it's where my first ever job was i worked for homaro Cantu and like his spots were over there and now it's just there's a google headquarters there's like it's just so overdone and also the rents are now too high because of that it's where girl on the goat like stephanie eiser has got her spots over there um so yeah, I kind of gave him pretty loose instructions. I'd like to have it somewhere with a bit of an outdoor space. I, I'm a really yeah. big fan of taking guests outside in the middle of a meal, especially if it's a three hour meal. Uh, and I yeah. think if you can give them like a little sipper or, or a little bite when they're outside, rain or shine, like yeah. give them raincoats, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of pretty open on the section of the city. It, it's more this, the my big thing is I want the outside of the space to be kind of classic Chicago architecture, which is a very broad statement. I mean, it, it can mean a lot of things, but I want, I, I love this city. And one of the reasons yeah. I came back, I could have opened a restaurant in Berlin. Like I was ready to do that. I was there four years. Like I knew the community, I knew investors. Yeah. And I came back cause I, I feel like I have some responsibility to give back to the city that I love and so part of that means like i want it to be a bit of a love letter to chicago i also want to work with like talking about working with local farms there's a lot of movements in chicago that are using empty lots uh in like englewood and the south side and west side and turning them into city farms and hiring at-risk youth like gang at-risk youth Mm -hmm. um to work those farms i'd like to work with them heavily and support that i'd like to hire people who might need a job to get like i'm gonna be tiny right i'm gonna have seven yeah. eight employees this can be a really small place but if i can give back in my little corner and support a ton of local farms while i'm doing it then like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i'm not i'm not immediately driven by the profit like i, I i'm not dumb like this is a business and i'm gonna have investors who are gonna put a lot of money into this and i need to get them their money back that is yeah. a big part of it but i the first five years if i'm head down on the line and i'm in the swamp of it every day that's my dream and then look in five years we can talk about if i have a sous chef or a cdc who's been who's with me a long period of time and gets the food we're doing and the style and the daily creation of it because like when i worked at ernst in berlin we did this daily creation in my two years there we once did the math we created ten thousand dishes like it was like nine thousand six hundred it's it's yeah. all about pushing and yeah so if i get somebody in place there who, who can be there for me then great then let's open the breakfast lunch spot that is using local produce but larger quantities so i can go from buying 30 pounds of lettuce to 400 really supporting these guys and girls and like sure that's the dream but i'm really focused right now on the immediacy of like making this i keep saying i want it to be the best restaurant in chicago and i want it to be really different from everything else that's in town because you know chicago i i like i said i fell in love with food because of alinea i love and Mm -hmm. those spots that's not the food i want to cook and this city yeah yeah. 85% 85% of the fine dining here 
is a, alumni of that who do that, like Esme and Ever and, uh, you know, all these. So yeah. it's like, how can I, I know. bring yeah local to the to the city? Yeah, it's funny because uh, so the chef de cuisine at Ever is Justin Silk, and we worked at Alania together. But um, mm-hmm. he worked at he worked at Grace when um, Curtis Duffy was at Grace. But like that shit show, man, what happened there? Like, dude. <laughs> well, this is what I wanted to ask you because you you said yeah. you have one big investor, right? Yeah. So do you yeah. worry about like a gray situation? Is that like contractually no. being dealt with or not, not, not? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're all good, man. I am so happy. Listen, I had a chance to open a restaurant in Los Angeles and thank the fucking Lord. I have an entertainment lawyer who looks out for me. Cause like we, we just ended up being friends. I cooked for, for this entertainment lawyer. He's the a lawyer of Rob Deirdre and uh, okay. fantasy factory. And basically I cooked for him in uh, Las Vegas. And basically he's like, yo, anytime you come to LA, you know, we should hang out. Anyway, we hung out, long story short, I was cooking at Hotel Bel Air. I was a chef de cuisine over there and I was cooking for this big party and I made him a tasting menu. And they were like, hey, if you ever want to open a restaurant, you know, let us know. We'll definitely get you a spot. You know, you deserve it. You have so much talent, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole spiel. Anyway, I took him up on the offer. He sends he sends over a contract, and uh, and it's funny because like I had my lawyer friend look at look at it. He's like, bro, he's like, are you sure you want to do this, man? He's like, you know, you are pretty much right now just an employee of him with no equity, no nothing, no partnership. There's nothing. You're employee number three, and he's like, I wouldn't recommend this. And the reason is is he can come in and, and you know, uh, you know, pull the plug anytime he wants. He has full control and. From that moment on, I've been very cautious with how I deal with different, um, you know, investors because it's the same thing here in Tech City. Like straight up, like I'm in Silicon Valley. Like there's so many people with money. I've cooked for some of the top leaders of the world, and I've been offered a restaurant. But the thing is, is their intentions are ill will. They're not like they don't give a fuck. They're in tech, mm-hmm. and that's the problem with the Angler restaurants. The the two big investors are tech investors. They're the one big investor is a tech investor. So he doesn't see the blood, sweat, and tears yeah. on. Uh, on restaurant operation it's a long slow burn it's not like and i'll tell you like i'm only taking i'm i'm gonna probably have 10 investors and they're all gonna be small small bites and it's like yeah because i want 51 percent control of the company and 51 percent ownership and i don't want people coming like i had an offer to fund the whole restaurant by somebody Mm -hmm. and i said no i was like i i want the ability i don't want somebody who can come in and say like no i didn't it's the l2o thing i mean i don't know if laurent graver told you the story why he was fired from l2o i'll tell you what i heard through the grapevine which is that he had a shabu shabu on the menu and one day the owner of l2o melman came in and ate the shabu shabu and was like you know i think the shabu shabu would be better if you did the broth like this like like oh and then yeah, and yeah, laurent yeah. Gras was and this was like three days after he got three michelin stars and laurent Gras was so yeah. pissed yeah, he was like, "I'm out of here." I, he, so he, it's like he, I don't need that. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. So this, so the way I have it set up now is there's multiple paths to ownership, which is amazing, and also it's 50 percent equity in this company. And any new business is immediate vesting, right? And, and that's what I really love because I truly believe in a little sweat equity. You know, you have to show these people that you can work and you can operate a business, but. I'm super excited because they're genuinely good people. Not like here in, uh, in Silicon Valley where they're just cutthroat. They have all the money. That they're, they're like, they're like, I never knew what rich was until I worked here. And never knew Valley. what rich was. <laughs> Dude, I knew what millionaires were and like, you know, people that have a couple billion, but man, we're talking about multi-billionaires here. Like yeah. money that just, 
I mean, bro, yeah, over we're, here, we're giving you a million dollars for a restaurant is like it ain't nothing. shit. It ain't shit. Here. It ain't nothing. But the thing is, it's like oh, the only thing they focus on is a return, which is kind of like ill willed. But um, <clears throat> when do you plan on when do you plan on opening, or have you got, found a space yet, or no? So I'm looking for a space. I'm leaving for the next like month and a half to go on a big, this big road trip meeting farmers. And then when I get back, it's kind of when we're like bunkering down. So I'm hoping to find a space by September, in which case yeah. we're shooting hey. for like, wow, you know, that's, that's I, soon. I, I have, I have such a hard time giving a date though. Cause like, I want to be like, ah, oh, yeah. we find a space in September. We'll be open by May. But realistically with supply chain issues right now, who knows when I'll get everything. So yeah, it, it exactly. could be, next fall if it's just delayed stoves you know yeah who, who so, are you gonna use for I'm shooting for them. i just had a custom range built by heston fucking beautiful well i'm not gonna but, do any gas i'm i'm okay. gonna strictly do i'm just doing induction i'm gonna have a hearth i'm gonna do a lot yeah. of a lot of open fire stuff um and then i yeah like Where, a hearth flat top so, and then i want to have a big an, a really beautiful like um oh my god i'm totally blanking on the name uh the of it the that are also steamers. Uh, what is it? Oh, oh, combi, combi oven. Yeah, like, yeah, thank you. My God, my yeah, rationale. My brain is off. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I got, I'm getting a double stack. Rationale. I'm getting okay. the double stack one. That's yeah, that one's it. I wouldn't open a restaurant without a rationale, man, straight up. But, uh, but uh, for the open fire, what do you, what do you, um, are you just going to build, have somebody build it or are you getting a custom one? Like I'm from probably uh, just going to have somebody build. I, I don't want, I don't need like a shit, like the, I don't really want to crank up. Yeah, yeah. I'm more interested in having. I, I what I will do is I'm gonna hire a, a, a like a local metal worker and just have them yeah. make build me. It's hard to describe without like a picture, but essentially it's gonna be yeah. a bar system where you can take the bars in and out, and then you can set up yeah. racks or hang things from the bar. I don't need the go the whole yeah. up and down because again, yeah, I, I we're serving thirty guests a night. Like this is gonna be a really small operation. Yeah. I know it's crazy because I'm uh, like, I'm, I've went, I was going with the grill works grill first, but now oh, I've changed my he, expensive as fuck, dude. We're talking see, about, I, I was quoted six figures. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. hundred K. And I was just like, damn, I was like, it's just not worth it. So <clears throat> what's really important to me is I need, I need everything to be all inclusive. I don't want it to be fixed in the actual restaurant because I've dealt with so many issues with building the angler restaurants. It was built in the kitchen, but once a brick breaks or cracks, you know, mm -hmm. replacing that brick is fucking, it's not as easy as you think. And then the whole structure is compromised. So for me, the Mabrasa, you, you can get it built on, you know, legs. It's a hearth in itself with, I'll have to send it to you, but it's, it's, it's really, really nice. The only thing is, is like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a, I don't know. I don't know how to say it's, it doesn't look glorious like the like the grill works okay. grill. The grill works grill looks fucking glorious, man. But it's like I'd much rather put that money somewhere else. But I'm super excited, man. We we're uh, shooting the for grill, uh, the grill works. Time. The grill works grill always reminds. There's this, do you know Mike Berbiglia, the comedian? Mm -mm. It doesn't matter. He I, I'm I'm really into stand like I'm big in comedy as well. Other than yeah, I like stand up and improv and all that kind of stuff. And Mike Berbiglia, he used to have this joke where he's like, they have to put a camera on everything now. He's like, you go to the store and you pick up a cantaloupe and it's like, now nah, with a camera. And like grill works, <laughs> all of his stuff makes me think of that. It's like, you get a grill, you get a rotisserie and you get a camera. Like it's yeah. just too much, you know? Yeah. But it does look glorious as fuck, man. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Uh, what else, should we Casey? talk about should we talk about well done meat <laughs> oh yeah 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 okay, let's honey, go, let's go you did. yeah 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 i'm i'm that's pro yeah, whatever actually hold on let, let me let me start this so if i know no i was just gonna say if i know the quality of the meat 
um, wear a plus. That's just me, right? But if it's anything otherwise, it's either midwell, well done. I, I I don't even fuck with it. It's just whatever. Like I'll pay that. I'll pay that sum. You know? Yeah. Go ahead. I'd like to hear your pers- your true perspective, chef perspective. Well, well, I listened to, I listened to our our two videos, and I think I, in my opinion, I realized we're kind of like ha- we have two fundamentally different takes. I, I actually think we're coming at it from very different points. I think. For me, it's a, literally about the meat and kind of like the ethics yeah. of, of cooking something well done. And for you, I think it's a lot more like the customer is right philosophy. And, and I kind of live my life off the theory that the customer is almost always wrong. And I know <laughs> yeah. that that's like yeah. a bad well, take I, nowadays, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I would say the customer is always right because I, I'll, I will, I will argue that I've cooked for a lot of people and I don't think technically they are right all the time. I do, however, think that early in my career, I had that same mentality, right? Like if you're not eating it mid rare or rare, like I worked, I literally worked for two steakhouses and I had this mentality. And I, when I was a young like cook and I was disgruntled and like, I was like, no, it needs to be mid rare. And I remember my first vision of the, somebody ordering a well done, uh, like Wagyu steak when Wagyu was popular back in the day. And uh, the chef was like, no, we cook this mid rare here. Like he like hand on the counter. And then it's funny because I really didn't take in consideration other people's requests until I became uh, farther along in leadership. And now when I say that, I mean like chef de cuisine level. And the reason is, is because, uh, you know, especially working at like a hotel or a good example is like Alinea, for example, you know, like there was people that ordered their, their lamb. You know, remember the lamb 86 dish, the dish that had yeah, 86 yeah. fucking components on it? I've seen, like, I was there when that shit was going down. It's funny, I saw, like, four cooks walk out. Like, it was crazy. Like, within the span of two weeks. But anyway, needless to say, you know, a lot of people want their lamb cooked up. That's what that's what we would call mm-hmm. it. They wouldn't say mid- medium or midwell. They would say cooked up. And it's funny because it changed my perspective working actually at Alinea. Like, okay, so, you know. This is how they're requesting the meat. This is how we're going to cook it. So the idea was behind that is like to make it as good as possible. But the reason why I think that it's difficult to kind of represent all chefs on that is because in all honesty, I changed my perspective when I became a chef of a restaurant, right? Like when I'm, when I'm cooking for other guests and here's the thing in LA, there's this group of Saudi Arabia princes that come from like your highnesses, right? Like they, it's crazy. I was told to uh, to call them your to call him your highness. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing that. That's fucking ridiculous. Anyway, I stand at the front of his door with a fucking package of dates, and I'm like, ha, huh, good morning, your highness. Like it was it was crazy. <laughs> anyway, he's like, so basically, they wanted they wanted a chef right to cook for them in the presidential suite. This is at Hotel Belair, and he's like, I want the best meat you can get, and I'm like, great. I order a strip loin of A5 wagyu, and it's funny because like. I was like, how, how do you want me to cook this? How do you want to cook? And he's like, no, no pink, no blood. We want it well done, well done meat. And I'm thinking in my head like, fuck. So what, what I did to make a long story short, I roasted this whole thing all the way through, like pulled it out like 155, but slow roasted. And then I'm, it's funny because I'm going to the room like this is destroyed. They're going to fucking hate it. Like there's no, like it's not juicy at all. Thankfully, Wagyu is fatty enough that, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it's not something I would enjoy. Dude, I swear to God, I'm slicing it thin. I'm serving it like over potatoes. I'm giving them rice. And like, they fucking loved it. And this was the first time in my career that I realized like, you know, you don't have a say in how other people prefer their meat. 
whether it's religion or like if they're yeah. you know a good example well, is like that's pregnant. something a lot of people commented in the thing they were like like well first of all when i said like we as chefs i thought that was obviously a joke like obviously i don't speak for every chef you know yeah, yeah. But like uh, and it's amazing how many people did not take that as a joke and but yeah i mean obviously like if somebody's pregnant like yeah. we're gonna cook it through if that's how they want it if some if it's a religious thing if it's like a health requirement but and i'm talking about i even say in the video that i posted originally like if you go to a burger joint i don't care you know what? But if you're going somewhere that is the top one percent of the top one percent, like I like I just got back from a trip to Wisconsin yesterday, where I was up visiting farmers and I'm meeting these farmers who have these like three cows, and they spend their entire lives raising these cows to like twelve years old, which nobody does, right? Just so yeah. that you get the most amazing fat marbling on like a local breed. I mean, kind of like trying to do something like wagyu here, but without those genetics. And was it a dairy dairy cow? This person is not doing a dairy cow. I've had a hard time yeah. tracking somebody down doing an old dairy. That in Europe, that's a lot more common to find an old. Yeah, dairy I was going to say dairy. dairy. Dairy cow has the best. It, it really, it really is a good flavor. So there's there's yeah. one farmer up here that does dairy cow, but there, I don't know. It's kind of expensive because it's just expensive. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, but it's like when you're dealing with those obsessives, with it's like I'm going to serve it to you the way I think it's best. And if you don't like it, I'll grill you off an oyster mushroom. You know, yeah. or, or like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get you fish. I, it, when I worked in Kyoto, when I interned at this restaurant called Kitchisen, it was the most nuts restaurant ever. It was a three mission star Kaiseki restaurant. And the chef, depending on who was eating, he gave you a different main course. If you were an American, he gave you Wagyu. If you were uh, a J Japanese local, he gave you spring trout. I was there in the early spring. And this is really offensive. I'm going to warn you right now. This is like straight up racist. He, yeah. If if you were Chinese, he gave you Australian beef and told you it was wagyu, because he was like, oh. they can't tell the difference. I mean, this was like straight up Japanese racism. But the point I'm more making is like the American versus Japanese, right? It's like, yeah, you give people different products based off their preference, and and I don't know. I do just feel it's disrespecting the animal and again not for factory farming that's a dead that sure. i probably would eat more of yeah so then here's so here's so here's another so here's another devil's avocado so when you're running a kitchen you have it so you know what this it kind of makes sense because there's two ends of the spectrum and you know what it's it's funny because just as much people that were telling me that i was right there was just as much people telling me that i was wrong right and so what's funny because what i try to drive home is is what do we tell the younger chef what do we tell that up-and-coming chef that is coming up, right? Where here's a good example. Um, you know, if you're working in like, let's say, I don't know, let's say, let's say you're doing a party of 30, right? And you have, let's say you have like 30 orders, you know, just as well as I know, they're not all going to be mid rare. There's no chance, right? There's no chance of them being mid rare. But now do we do we be negative about the midwells and the well done's? I try to train like, listen, every guest deserves the same experience. But here's the thing. If a young cook and a young chef is coming up and they're working the grill station and they have, you know, multiple steaks and they have that same attitude about the midwell to well done steak, because that's not their preference. What is the, what's the right way to go about that situation? Right. What do you think? It, I, you know, if it's like a, a party or something, Again, it, I think the environment plays a huge role in it. Like, yeah, if you're catering, 
Like if, if and, I have and, a really and you know what? And let's 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 keep it real. When you think about a, the yeah. totality of a cow, we're talking about the primal cuts that you serve mid rare, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. so so like if you think about it, like it's kind of like oh, but go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Well, no, it's like I, like for instance, at the restaurant I want to open, I really don't want to take certain dietary restrictions. Like we're not we're not going to take vegan. We're probably not going to take lactose free and we might not take people who don't eat seafood because I'm probably going to use a good amount of katsubushi. Like I'm going to yeah. do a lot of dashi. And it's not because I don't like those people. It's not because yeah. I don't respect their taste. It's because I'm doing such a niche experience here. And I want yeah. you to have the same experience as everybody else. And I can't give you that if you are unable to eat certain things. Now, sure. that being said, if you hire my restaurant for a private if you buy us out or you take us like one time I did a, a catering event here in Chicago at the top floor, like a Michigan Avenue building. And it was like this gorgeous apartment filled with Chihuly glass. Right. It's like, <laughs> if you're that person, you're paying us a ton of money. Of course, we're going to work around your taste. Yeah. But if you say you want well done beef, I'm probably going to try and discourage you from us doing beef. Maybe we'll do like a really delicious braise. Right. Like there's yeah, so many yeah. ways to do well done meat. Yeah. That is not, uh, a steak yeah so it's like how that. Do we, that, yeah so i guess that's more my approach it's more can we push it to like how can we find this middle ground of i have this great product well great let's do brace short ribs that's fucking awesome All right everybody yeah. loves that in a crowd that's a hit so yeah yeah i guess that's my position yeah so it's a, it's a gray area it is it is and so like yeah. so basically i think i think you're 100 right so i'll give you a good example when dave Barron opened his restaurant in los angeles no dietary restrictions he said, unfortunately, we're not accommodating any dietary restrictions. And I'm not going to lie. He took it in the chin because, you know, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, yeah. bro, it's like, eh, like it's, it's tough. And I, I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm like, chef, listen, man, I love you, man. But like, dude, you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a tough time. And it's funny. He's like, I know we just we just can't do it. We don't have the staff. You know, we don't have the staff. And I'm like, OK, all right, bro. But like, it's funny because he went for as long as possible. Dialogue. That's the restaurant. Yeah. Great restaurant, by the way, but it just reminded me so much of Next. Like, you know, like it was just really, it, it just, and I know because we did a dinner together, people got me and him confused and the dinner was really, it was really funny, but <laughs> he had that, he had that same perception. So uh, dialogue, 12 seats, you know, a couple tables, but, um, you know, no diet, no dietary restrictions. And, um, and it's funny because like it, you know, he did, he did a great job, but ultimately that restaurant, he had to close it down, you know, and that was really unfortunate, man, because I really liked it. But, um, what was the other thing I wanted to say? So what are you doing for work right now? Do you just, uh, I like, just moved back five weeks ago. So like I, I had some money saved up. Berlin. I had some money saved up. I'm, and because I knew I was doing the six week road trip in the middle of summer. So like I, I, that was always planned. So once I get back, essentially I'm going to see how long it's taking to get things done for this restaurant. And I might yeah. not like, if it's soon enough, then I can not work. And if it's yeah. uh, taken a while, then I might, I don't know. I might get like a prep job somewhere. So I have the mornings busy and I have like afternoons free to do all this stuff for the restaurant. Yeah. That'd be dope, man. Dude, there's one more question I want to ask. There's one more yeah, thing, here. but I think, I think you do I have one question for you guys also at the end. Yeah. Uh, but we'll yeah, come yeah, back of course. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jules cooking, Jules cooking. I, yeah, I saw the video. I mm -hmm. saw the video, but it's, but it's funny because I think, I think I know exactly what you're saying and I respect your point of view. But I will have to argue that I think Jules Cooking, because I've seen his progression from the bottom, I, I will argue that Jules Cooking is 
probably one of my favorite chef influencers on the platform, not on TikTok, but on he's, TikTok's mm-hmm. nothing. I think on Instagram and YouTube, I would definitely watch some of his videos. But so, I totally understand what you're saying with the molds. I, I totally you, did it. Again, well, this is the thing. It's like, I have nothing against him as a person. Nothing. Yes. I, he's, he is probably a very lovely guy. Um, <laughs> I don't consider him a chef in the same way you don't consider Joshua Weissman a chef, right? Like, I don't know. I have no idea Jules's history. I have no idea if he's worked behind the line places or if his whole thing is content creation. He strikes me as just content creation, kind of like there's another guy on TikTok who pops up a lot, L- Ligier, L I G I R, like that oh, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the young kid. Yeah, it, he's not. Yeah, Liger. Or it's whatever same idea. Like these guys are not chefs; they're content creators. And but I don't know. There's something about the Jules cooking food that. There's so many restaurants in Europe, like in Berlin. Tim Rao is the one I always give as an example because he was in the city I was in. It's like, and I call it fetishized Asian. And it's this idea of like, I use a lot of yuzu concentrate, a lot of dashi powder. I use these certain flavors and techniques, but I like, but to me, it's done very uneloquently. It's done as a means to an end and like a dashi beurre blanc poached oyster as opposed to, I just want, give me an intro like just give me the oyster i i don't know i don't need and it, there's something about molding everything in microgreens i i don't like that style of cooking and i always yeah. find it to be that's the stuff that we're you know we're talking about like influencing younger chefs that's yeah. the stuff that worries me about influencing our chefs. that's the stuff i think young cooks see and they go i want to do that let me do that when they're not learning to the roast basic a chicken, fundamentals yeah. So you know what? That's um, a, that's a great point. That's a great point. But he also does have on his YouTube channel. He has basic techniques. But okay. here's the thing about Liger. Liger is not. I, I don't know. I call him Liger. I don't know. His name is. Um, I think his name is Michael. But he lives here in uh, Cupertino. He lives right next to me. But he he's not a chef. He's a tech bro that just loves yes. fine dining and he loves like. And he'll say it like he's reached out and asked me questions. And it's funny because I'm like, yo, when are we gonna collab? But he fucking skyrocketed out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I gotta admit, like I, I know that some of the spheres and some of the shit that he makes is not, I know it doesn't taste good and he's just doing it for the camera, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of played out. But I, I like will molds say that I think- too, FYI, just I, saying. Yeah. I'm against molds. No, I hate I told, it. You don't, you don't I, mold I t- your ramen? You don't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally understand. I totally understand that perspective, but I, you know, I think all chefs have different different personality, different styles. And if that's his style, like, you know, you can look at it. Like if you watch one of his YouTube videos and you, and you, and he, plus he has a good resume. His resume is legit. I don't know okay. if he, um, he was the, I don't know if he was the head chef, but um, for sure it's sous chef. But um, he, like, if you look at some of his recipes, especially on YouTube, I wouldn't really look, I wouldn't really go for the TikTok because he just repurposes his reels. But his YouTube channel is fucking fire. And some of the shit he makes is beautiful. And I would go back to his old videos because here's the thing about content creation. Yeah, I totally get it, man. Like, and it's, it sucks because I'm forced to like do some bullshit videos. Here's a good example. I made a beautiful carrot dish a couple weeks ago, 10K views. I did it for a tasting menu. It was really, it was really good, right? I got these carrots from, from a local farmer that literally just harvested them less than 24 hours out of the fucking ground. And 10,000 10, views, nobody's interested. I post a peanut butter and jelly on white bread. Mm-hmm. Okay. 600,000 views. Engagement is absolutely crazy. Yeah. I got Welch's reaching out to do a sponsorship deal. And I'm like, I'm like, nah, fuck, 
when i did the original well done meat video when i did the like my my first well done video i did it because i had done another meat video that got like 600k views and people get people engage with that stuff yeah like exactly like there's certain videos i just do for me and then there's videos where it's like i know this is getting like i'm on the creator fund now you know and and i'm not getting a lot of money but i'm getting something you know and so yeah. yeah The, the the creator fund won't won't get you too much money, but the the brand deals will. The brand deals. I highly recommend yeah. doing brand deals because uh, you know I mean, you I can know, definitely. I, nobody's reached out about that yet, and I don't have the kind of like yeah. attention to this. To again, I've got fifteen thousand yeah. followers. Like this is not a big. Yeah, I'm not huge. <laughs> I know. But all right, here's my here's my question. It actually bleeds into what we were talking about, and I love asking yeah. chefs this in general. How do you guys? Sure. And this is for both of you. How do you roast a chicken? Like what's your like what's your technique for roasting a chicken? Okay, you want me to go, you first? go first, or do you want you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. I, uh, I spash cock the fuck out of it. Thirty five minutes in the oven, three seventy five, and then let it rest at one forty five. I, I pull it out at one forty five, um, and then let it room come up to one fifty, and then I eat the fuck out of it. <laughs> Are you doing any fat yeah. on or under the skin, or just straight no up? nothing? Just just straight nothing. Uh, salt pepper, very um. Minimal, I should say, but it depends on the quality of the chicken. Again, um, I, I don't know if you noticed, like the, um, so I, I do a ramen thing, right? I focus more on the quality of the fat every time I get it. Like I, I make it to my purveyors. I'm like, I want Berkshire every time. I want to see it. And then when I when I do get the the product, I open it and I touch the fucking fat. And then obviously that gauges how much I need to adjust the tare for the ramen. And it's all based on fat. Literally, this is my. My bread and butter is this fucking broth. Every time I make it, every week. Um, if that's not how I want it, then it, it's kind of a failed purpose. So the same exact thing for any of my cooking. Quality first over everything. If the chicken comes out like primo, you can see that fucking yellow thing underneath. Oh my God, I'm I'm excited. Salt and pepper, spatchcock, uh, 145. Again, let it rest to 155 and then I eat it. But if it's like kind of crappy, I, I will cook it all, all the way to like 160, 165 and then just lather with like butter or some shit. Just to make it taste good. Yeah. So my my favorite way to roast a chicken is definitely pecking style. So for sure, one hundred percent. I am definitely. I went down the rabbit hole. So if you look at the, if you go to Angler San Francisco or Angler Los Angeles, if you go to their Instagram and you see that chicken dish, that's my chicken dish. That is one the one I created for Chef Skeens, and I like to use the Heritage Bird from D'Artagnan as my favorite. But there's a couple local purveyors here. I like to get head on feet on to be able to dip it right in the dip is maltose and you know szechuan spices and it's my absolute fucking favorite way to have chicken i like to use the wood oven but i will argue that the combi oven just gives you a better product okay so like you know like um yeah the the rationale like if you cook if you cook the bird 75 percent with 60 percent humidity and then finish it at a hard roast and i like to you know cook it pretty much to like 135 then what i do is i take off the breasts and then i finish the legs but you know, if I was in an operation, then I'd probably do the spatchcock, or I would butcher it in a way that everything can cook together. But here's the thing: I fucking hate chicken breast. Like, I, I only like chicken. I only like chicken breast if it's fucking juicy, bro. And it's funny because it's funny you say this because, dude, I will eat chicken fucking pink, especially if I cook it myself. Like rosé, mm-hmm. that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. And my wife is the opposite end of the spectrum, bro. She like fucking dry chicken team she's team dry chicken <laughs> but um as far as roast i have actually i have a mother picking dip and um you know i use this all the time in, in chinese they call it barbecue chicken they don't call it like pecking style like they don't 
Yeah, they call it barbecue. And, you know, here in America, I can't call it barbecue. I just can't. Barbecue is something way different for me. But I have also had experience cooking it in the wood oven is one of my favorite things. Um, you know, definitely if you go down Mike, ba- Mike, uh, Chef Mike Bagel's page, he has a roasted goose in, uh, mm-hmm. on his page. And uh, he sent me the recipe. And I transferred this to pretty much chicken. And then I kind of made it my own. But pecking style chicken roasted in the wood oven or arguably the combi is probably my favorite. That's the way I would do it. Now, would I, would I teach that? No, I would probably teach like a roasted chicken that has a simple brine. I'm a big fan of the dry brine. Yeah. I like to keep the skin. So if I, so like when I train cooking a chicken one, I like to get air chilled, uh, fuck that watered down bullshit. I like to get air chilled. And what I like to do is I like to dry out the chicken for at least one or two days, clean out the cavity really good, salt it, and then get all the moisture off the skin because that that is going to be the absolute success to roasting a proper chicken, right? I don't fill the cavity at all. I think that's stupid um, unless it's like herbs or citrus. That that's about it. Um, other than that, I don't tie it either. It depends on what size the bird is. Like if it's the three to four pound bird, uh, you know it depends. If it has skinny legs but a fat chest, then you know I'm probably not going to tie it. Um, it really depends if it's a tiny bird but like you know if it doesn't have that much meat then i'm going to tie it up um it just really depends but i think as far as that like if i'm going to brine it like if i'm going to teach brining it then i would use a needle i wouldn't dip the whole bird in the brine um you know so like it depends it like really depends on what the finished product is but how about you well i just i think it's really funny because every chef approaches roasting a chicken different and like you you read cookbooks it's um I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty classic. Like I do, I enjoy the peaking aspect of, I always get my hand under there and I try to get the skin as like off the, the meat as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and then I do like a really simple olive oil, salt, pepper. Well, no, sorry. first I dry brine for a day in the fridge. So I salt yeah. the whole thing, air dry it. And then the next day I'll do another layer of olive oil all over salt, pepper. And then I let it go like probably 450 for, 15 minutes and then I bring it down to like 325 until I get a yeah. temperature I like and juice for it. But for me, the most important part is actually not the chicken, but what's below it. And it's like, mm. I want onion rounds. I want lemon. I want like, I want it sitting on a bed of stuff that's going to roast beneath it and flavor yeah. the juices that are coming out. And also just be like, to me, the best part of roast chicken is caramelized onion from beneath the roast chicken. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's, so if you if you go to the ferry building in the San Francisco, there's a place. It's actually a corporate uh, food truck, but it's called Roti Roti. They have the best, one of the best roasted chickens I've ever had. But have you ever heard of like roasting the chicken on its breast side to get the back skin like nice and crackly? Okay, it's, like yeah. the whole time, or do you flip it back and forth? So so basically, you start it on its back, and then it gets it sits up on its. Then you sit it up, and then it roasts okay. around, so it doesn't get that blonde spot on the bottom. But yeah, that was another cool way that I learned. But it's kind of, it's really difficult to like, if you're in a restaurant operation to do that for like 10 chickens, anything over five is like, you got to pick and choose your battles. Anyway, I know we got to wrap it up, man. I really had, I really yeah. enjoyed this podcast, man. It was pretty dope. It was really Thank nice you for having me. I'm glad we yeah, got absolutely. to actually chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's again, a not an asshole. <laughs> no, it's not that. I don't, I don't it's think all so about, all. Um, it's all about perspective. That's, that's all it is. Right. If we can get a if we can get a back and forth, that's like the most important part of it, because like I I knew that you were kind of doing satire, but I wanted to confirm. Right. But I, I didn't know personally. So obviously now we got to talk and we now we know. Right. <laughs> but for everybody aware, I mean, they would probably just kind of knock you down. You're like, bro, I was just joking. You know, like I get it. My content's like 90 percent satire, too. And I, 
but I, I flavor it kind of corporate style. So it's not so, uh, not too, too intense on the, um, the wording. I should say, but I'm, I'm a petty motherfucker all day. Like, yeah, Casey, Casey, don't let him like Casey is the king of petty man. He will reply I'm to petty. every negative comment. <laughs> petty as shit. Bury it. Yeah, petty as shit. Yeah. All right. Um, for everything else, Jake, I'll, I'll tag your stuff underneath that way people can find you and stuff like that. Cool. And then any, yeah, any it's kind all of the mutes? same at not yet a chef. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Any kind and of news? If, you, if uh, you need any help, upcoming? Um, if you need any help in California, just shoot me a message. I got you, man. I'll, I'll set you up. With, you know, I can even that. just give you point you in the dire- different directions of different farmers. You know what I mean? Thank you. And good luck in uh, good luck with Montana. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. We'll look forward to seeing yeah. it open. We all yeah, kind yeah, of definitely. I'm, I'm gonna post. I'm gonna post here on social media in the next couple of days. So we'll see. Okay, cool. All right, thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you. Hi, right, peoples. Thank you so much. And uh, that's all we got. Peace.